Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. I'm here with Elliot. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Marilyn. Oh, and Marilyn. You just moved my next line. Great. Now everybody knows Marilyn's here before I get to say it. And Marilyn. I'm here. Hey, guys. <laughs> and today we are going to talk about athletic intelligence. And hopefully we'll get into a little bit about how to develop your athletic intelligence. And given that the Super Bowl is coming up, I was going to talk a little bit about athletic intelligence in professional athletes. And I think like to, to see it in ball sports, whether it be basketball, football, soccer, it's much easier to see, say, than in like triathlon, because you can see how aware they are of their body and how aware they are of their movements. And when they make a mistake like that, it's, it's an easy blooper to see. And we can all sit on the couch and, and question what they're doing and say, man, why did that receiver make that play? Or, you know, what happened there? And, but really when they're on the field and they're, they're moving and everything's going a mile in a minute, it's much harder to make those decisions. It's much easier when we're kicked back on the couch, watching the game to question what decisions they made in a quarter second. Uh, so how does that relate to you as a triathlete? What are the, what, what is your athletic intelligence and how does that dictate what you're doing? Because you're not playing a ball sport. You're not on a field. What is, uh, what is athletic intelligence like for an endurance athlete? Marilyn, do you have like a, maybe a definition or how you, how you view athletic intelligence? I wouldn't say so much. I have a definition as much as, you know, it's, it's a complete understanding of your body's ability and being able to cue into your body's all those signals and cues that you get from your body and knowing exactly how to interpret them and how to respond to them. And that might mean through a certain pace or an effort that might also come in different conditions. Um, you're able to really cue into those and, and have complete confidence to be able to know what to do in those circumstances. And, and some of that is going to be developed. We're going to talk about how to develop that, how we as coaches develop that. And some of that is, you know, some athletes just naturally are more gifted at that. And some athletes, it takes a little longer to develop, but it's certainly something that we can all learn. And it's a key part of our success. And we have, we're also going to talk about how many different tools out there that help us with that and how many times some of these tools can get overused and cause a little paralysis by analysis. So that's all part of it. So not really a definition as much as, you know, what is it that we're, we're tapping into? It's tapping into the body cues that we get that help us progress and, and really understand what it is we're supposed to be doing in that moment to be successful in, in whether it be a workout or a race or any given circumstance and, and how we're going to react in those circumstances. Awesome. Elliot, do you want to add anything to that or is this my star Wars time? Uh, this is it. This is your okay. moment. <laughs> All right, listeners. I hope you like star Wars at the end of a new hope, which is like the original star Wars. Luke Skywalker is going down and he's going to go blow up the Death Star. And they have a bunch of electronic gadgets that are supposed to help him aim his gun. And then out of nowhere, Obi-Wan Kenobi pops up and tells him to use the force, even though I'm pretty sure he's already dead. So the point is, he's like, use the force, use the force. Well, what the hell's the force? The force is knowing what your pace is in the middle of the race. The force is there's impending doom for everyone, you know, in the world, or in this case, impending doom to your legs and your lungs and your heart and knowing that you have to shift down or take a gel or that you just got hit in the head in the middle of the swim around a buoy. And you kind of like, are like, all right, what do I do here? 
well, I have to make sure I'm swimming towards the next buoy. So I'm not swimming off course and I have to make sure I'm getting my breathing under control. Um, so generally speaking, like it's kind of that idea. That's what athletic intelligence is. You're, you're in the moment and you don't have to look at a gadget. You just know what to do intuitively, whether that's to go faster, to go slower, to correct your course, to, to take the time to adjust your equipment. Maybe, um, I, as, uh, an example, I had an athlete who was racing Ironman Hawaii in the professional field and was the fittest he'd ever been. And he rode an hour and a half with his wheel rubbing so hard that it couldn't do one single revolution without stopping because he had zero athletic intelligence. Um, he sure was certainly very, very strong, but he was unaware of the fact, the simple fact that his, his wheel was rubbing for an hour and a half straight. Right. And so I would say that's kind of like the, my definition of athletic intelligence. Um, and, and if you're thinking about it, like whatever, from the sci-fi genre, as, a as opposed to the, uh, the ball sports genre, it's essentially the same idea, whether it's football, Star Wars, or triathlon. Yeah. I think it's like, just to say exactly what you guys said in a slightly different way, uh, <laughs> round three, which is what happens when you go third in this situation. But, um, yeah, it's that kind of ability to know where, what your body is doing and kind of where you're at, like that feeling of, of how hard are you working and that feeling of like, what, I guess, yeah, just how, where, where your body is at and, and what you need to do to control it appropriately. And like and you where said, you, where you are in space, it's not yeah. something you generally think about in triathlon, especially if you're on Zwift, but it does matter. You are, you're not on an empty. As we've developed through the years with the amount of technology that's given to us, you know, technology is a really great thing. It gives us a lot of tools, a lot of information, and we can use that information to develop these athletic intelligences, you know, especially on newer athletes where you might say as a coach them, we're going to go ahead and we're going to go at this pace, or we're going to go at this effort. And it should feel like this. And they start to overcome. Maybe I've certainly had newer athletes where, you know, a, a sensation that they get, they might, uh, be a little bit afraid of that sensation to begin with, but the more familiar they become with it and you let them know, Hey, this level of effort, whether it be, you know, pace on the run or heart rate that they're seeing or Watts on a bike. And then they, they feel those sensations and those cues and you say, Hey, you're okay. It's supposed to feel like that. And they become more familiar with them. Then you go ahead and take those gadgets away and you say, I want you to seek out that sensation again. And, and so hopefully over time they get faster and faster at those same sensations, or they actually get, you know, more familiar with them or less fearful of them, or they understand like, Oh, if I cross over this, this isn't, you know, this is what is going to happen to me. So all of these, all of this new technology, it can be really, really helpful for, for developing this back in the day, you know, before all of this stuff. And if you take really long time, um, elite athletes, let's take a swimmer, for instance, you can say to them, we're just going to use a pace clock. I want you to go say their, you know, say their base hundred paces, like let's say an elite swimmer, their base hundred paces, a minute per hundred. That's a pretty elite swimmer. Right. And you say, I want you to go really, really aerobically. You're going to go 115, 107, 103, 101, 59, 58, 57. They can do that. They know exactly what that's going to feel like. They know exactly down to the second what that's going to feel like. And they know the amount of effort and how it's going to feel as the session goes on. They know how to tap into that. A newer athlete, 
you know, they might start at like, you know, all of a sudden they hit a pace at like, they go 57, then 105, then 120, then back down to 57. They have no idea how to regulate that effort or how to descend down. So these are the types of things that we're talking about. We can translate that onto the track or power meters, that kind of thing. I, I think we all have examples of teaching our athletes through these gadgets and through pace clocks and times on, on how to develop this kind of these sensations and, and cues that you get from your body to, to understand what pacing is. Do you guys have some ideas and thoughts on that? I, I do. Um, I think all the, the gadgets, I think the power meter is what gets used most, right? It, and before that, it was a heart rate monitor. And, and now that we have Garmin's with giving you live pacing on a run workout, people are often looking at the number to tell them if they're on pace or not. Um, I think though they're useful gadgets, but I, I honestly think the best way to, to gain athletic intelligence is to have all those gadgets, not pay attention to them, do a workout and fail and then go back and look at your data and, or data. I never figured that one out and, and say like, where did I fail? Why did I fail? Did I fail in the first hundred meters of my, my one mile rap or did I fail because I was going too slow or, you know, did I fail because I went way too hard? Then I settled in too easy and then I went too hard again. There's all these different ways to fail. But once you have the data, you can go back and you can learn which way you fail, failed. And, and the great part about that is, let's say you nail the workout without any equipment. Well, then you nail the workout. So maybe you didn't learn anything for your athletic intelligence, but you had a great workout. So it puts you in this scenario where if you're successful, it's awesome. And if you're not successful, it's also awesome because you like learned a really valuable lesson. And I think personally, I think that's one of the best ways to go about it and to use the gadget. Um, especially early on in your career, athletic career. Yeah, I 100% I agree. I think looking at that data afterwards and then thinking about how you felt in each moment and thinking about like thinking about that moment which you failed and saying, okay, how did I feel? And like, why did I feel that way? And then you can use the data to come up with the why. And then you can say, okay, like I want to stick or stay away from that feeling next time. And then you can hopefully like do that next workout and have better gauge on what you're, what you're feeling. Even if you didn't know what you were feeling the first time, you can kind of gauge a better sense of that by using the data to, to tell you what you were feeling. And then next time you can just have that from the sensation. So like, I think a, a really common thing to do, like you're talking about is like a track workout where you start out too hard. Like everyone runs the first hundred or 200, like a little quick, and it might not feel that quick because it's the first hundred and you're not that tired yet but you still can feel like, okay, like my turnover is pretty high and you can say, okay, maybe next time I go to the track, I don't need to start out like a cannon out, you know, being shot out of the, of the starting gate. And you can kind of feel that difference and say, okay, well, like my, my 200, I still came through in, in however many seconds. And, and you can kind of start to use that to correlate data, feeling, feeling data and kind of work on that back and forth. And just to kind of go back to what Marilyn was talking about earlier, I think those descending sets where you're teaching athletes to use that gearbox, that can be such a useful tool in that in developing that athletic intelligence. And I think a great place to start is like descending one through three, right? You get like three 100s, you say descend them. And a lot of people can say, okay, I can go like, like easy, medium and hard. And that makes sense. 
what happens when you give an athlete one through five? And then, okay, well, now you have to add, add a few gears in that gearbox and find those nuances in speed that you were talking about. And I think that those different types of sets can be a really great way. If athletes don't have a great feel yet, you can use that. That's a great way to do it in the pool. You can also even do that in any of the sports, but using that to kind of develop a gearbox to help feel like that, that pacing. I yeah. swear you bugged my phone. Cause I had that exact same call with an athlete, like, <laughs> like word <Yes>. for word. <laughs> and I'm really bad at one through four still. I can do one through five. I can do like one through seven, but one through four, that two and three gets me every time. That's a number. Oh my God. You know, and the, and the other place that we can get ourselves, you know, we see a really common mistake um, where people get a little bit too locked in on exact numbers and they, they can, you know, if we use the term athletic intelligent dial in as you see it in races all the time, they, they get so locked in on, I need to hold these numbers and they forget to tap into, especially in these really long races, like half Ironmans, Ironmans, how am I feeling right now? What's the wind doing? You know, how many, um, what's the temperature doing? What's the road surface like? How many athletes have we seen where, you know, they're on a slight downhill and a tailwind and the road surface is smooth and they're like, I must hold 210 watts. And they don't realize like, hey, if I actually just back off here, my speed's really, really high. I'm going to back off here. I'm going to fuel a ton, you know, get as much fluid and nutrition down as I can. I'm going to check into how I feel. If it's a hot race, maybe get my temperature down. And then I'm going to be able to turn it back up when I turn around, turn into the, turn into the headwind and have that energy there. But they're so locked into, I have to hold these watts that they forget to think and adapt based on what's happening out there in real time. You know, same thing. I've seen people out on the run and like, I am going to run eight minute miles eight minute miles is the plan, no matter what. And their stomach starts to turn South and they're not able to adjust. They're not able to say like, Oh, actually it's 97 degrees out. We all <laughs> need to slow down. And they're like, no, I had planned on running eight minute miles. And it's like, well, it's, it's pretty hot out. And if you run, you know, if you're running that, if that's, you know, your original plan and it's, and it was, it's too fast for the temperature and you're not able to adjust in that moment and say, Hey, I got to, I got to slow down for this and start to get more hydration down a little bit more salt down that kind of stuff, then you're probably going to explode out there. Right. And so it's knowing that these, we practice with numbers and we, we cross-reference, but having that ability to adapt and adjust based on what's going on. And, and, you know, maybe it's even a tactical decision. If you're a professional racer, you know, you have, you go in with a plan and you, you know what your abilities are and you're watching the people around you and you're having to make decisions based on what's the dynamic of the race and deciding, Hey, am I going to, how is this going to affect me when it comes all the way down to the finish line? Should I go with this move? Should I sit in? Feels real easy right now. Well, perhaps I should be patient right now. So that takes an enormous amount of athletic intelligence. And really this intelligence that we're talking comes from, like you say, not failures and successes. You know, we learn it every time we make a mistake. We also learn it when we succeed. It's like, Oh, I pushed through that barrier. I understand that a little bit better. I know, what happened when I did this, um, you know, that, that helps us develop it in, in every success and failure that we, we execute. And it's, it's okay to, to try different things, you know, that that's going to help you as well. Yeah. And as far as the success and failure, I'm going to tell a little story where two people are failing in opposite directions and they're training partners. So Jesse was swimming with my girlfriend a week or two ago, I think maybe it was last Monday. And my girlfriend's, let's just say she's a bit faster than Jesse at swimming. And 
Um, they, were you doing four four by seventy five? Was multiple rounds of that or four by a hundred? Uh, it it doesn't by... matter. Okay. It doesn't matter. The point is, my girlfriend has an issue where she often maybe won't push hard enough on her really really fast swimming, and Jesse has an issue where he pushes way 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 too hard on the first early part of the swim, and so um, Jesse was going out like a bat out of hell for the first 25 of these, let's call them four seventy fives, And they had like five rounds of them. And this was great for, for my girlfriend because she got to see a faster pace and then carry on. And without Jesse being there, she wouldn't have pushed that hard. So she was like in real time. And then the next time she did a swim, that was a similar workout without Jesse, which I think was yesterday. She was like, oh yeah, I was just kind of like, well, well, how fast would Jesse be going? It would be too fast for him, but it would be perfect for me. And so like, we literally had this conversation in the last week where it was like, oh, it's so good to have Jesse push me a little out of my comfort zone. And now I'm able to execute that next workout where I'm going, doing these fast hundreds a little bit harder. Um, and I, and I realized like, and then the converse of that is like, Jesse can be like, oh, well, there's, there's a, maybe, do you want to defend yourself, Jesse? Uh, no, I, I think that was good. I, <laughs> but I mean, the, the takeaway would be like for what you were trying to accomplish out of that workout, I think is different from what she was trying to accomplish, right? You were just trying to swim hard and you didn't necessarily care about the even pacingness of it. Is that fair? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't really want to spend a lot of time getting the nuance here, but she, she, she works the walls better than I do. So okay. on the first 25, I was like, I was fine. And then she'd get a little ahead of me on the turn. I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to let her kind of drift. Yeah. But um, you were, you were holding a good pace still. For yeah. Your, yeah. It was good. Which, and is, I, why, which yeah. is why you're there. So I guess that's an example of where two people can have a different swim and have different strengths and be kind of like failing in a different way, but then both improve um, as a result of, of a different way. So outside, outside of pacing, I mean, obviously pacing and dialing into your body cues for learning, you know, how hard you can go for certain durations. I mean, really, really experienced athletes or people who come by this a little naturally, you can say, we're going to go, you know, this is going to be your all day pace. And they know exactly what that feels like. You can put the, you can say, we're going to do a 40 K TT in your threshold. And they know exactly what that feels like, what cadence, all of those things. So pacing is a huge part of it with this, with this uh, topic that we're talking about, but another place <clears throat> that is, this is a huge thing, especially now with all the smart trainers and how much time people are having to spend on trainers. And I see this really often out on the bikes is understanding, I call it, um, learning how to make your bike go fast. <laughs> um, with I no, I know that thing. I know that sounds really simple, but learn how to make your so ultimately in triathlon, we're trying to get the most speed out of your bike as possible with the least amount of energy so that you can run fast, right? And so, learning how to make your bike go fast, and even if you're a bike racer and you're learning how to hold a wheel or conserve energy for the right move, that kind of thing, um, we're positioning those kinds of things. With, so there's a difference between <clears throat> executing watts and a workout on a trainer, and especially the trainers now that even choose the gearing for you, where they choose the resistance and the cadence, versus being able to go out on the road and understand what it feels like to hold you know, a really, really arrow position, how to manage the wind, how to manage the stuff in the road, the rocks, the up, the down, and get the most speed possible out of your bike. 
and without <clears throat> knowing like, when do I shift? How do I read the road? Do I shift up? Do I shift down? Do I tuck down a little bit more? Do I, you know, all of these things that make the bike travel faster for the least amount of energy. And, and that's a skill. And some people naturally have that gift. They can really dial in. We can translate this into whether it be a rhythm on the run or feel in the water, you know, positioning with your hand, your body position, high hips in the water, timing, you know, timing of your breath, those kinds of things. These awareness of where you are in space, some people come by that much more naturally. You know, they, you can tell them, <clears throat> hey, I want you to really feel the road and I want you to click up a gear, click down a gear, tuck under the wind, these kinds of things. And they'll get it. They know exactly where that feels, shift their butt back, shift their butt forward, find that spot on the saddle. And they, they understand it and they know how to lean into wind. Other people, it takes them, you know, you watch them riding along, they're, they're bolt upright, their arms are stiff. Uh, they're always either over geared or under geared. You know, they have their bike slows down. They don't know how to shift in and out of corners. And so these are, aside, we're talking about pacing and, and developing athletic intelligence for body cues and specific pacing. But I think in terms of technique and rhythm and speed in each sport for most efficiency, that's another whole side. And I think that's where you touched on Jesse with football players, awareness of body and space. You know, gymnasts are high, high level of, of being able to tap into that. Weightlifters, those kinds of things. So different sports require that, but our sports, as well, you know, our sport is like I say, uh, swimming is extremely technical. You know, you talked about she was faster in and out of the turns than you, you know, those kinds of things. So I know you guys probably have some good insight on that. Yeah, I mean, just just to stick with the the bike analogy, I just had like a, a bike fit check in, and we talked about some of the things you were talking about, like when you're riding slight downhill and a tailwind and you're going super fast, your position is going to be slightly different, right? And even when I was getting a bike fit, we kind of went through some different ways I can move my arms in, in those positions to get lower and kind of gain some free speed where it's not the best position for me putting out power, but it's, it's a great way for me to roll really, really fast. So like I stretch out my arms a bit, duck my head down a little bit and like my hip angle is a little bit tight, but if I'm already going fast and I just need to maintain a cadence and don't need to be riding at, at high power, I can keep rolling like that really well. And, and although I learned that talking to a guy while sitting on a trainer, you know, taking it out and like rolling down mission at a really high speed, you can feel that difference. And I, I can kind of like say, okay, like when I, when I stretch out like that, I can gain like three or four miles per hour at 50 less Watts. And for for the listener mission, you were riding it downhill. Yeah. Yeah. He's sorry. riding downhill, a perfectly straight road at 2% grade downhill where you can yeah, just haul. It's a perfect place to practice going fast and, and kind of figuring out those things in the bike position or like Marilyn said, this does translate over, but it's, it's so much different than if I was just staring at my power meter and had my, my arms high and my head kind of up to, I would go five miles an hour slower for more power. Right. And so kind of learning how, how to ride fast. Like you guys said, like that's, that's the idea, right. Is going fast and they're getting that feel down. What it feels like this. I think the bike is such a good place for that because that's a place where you can make up so much time and really like you have to get out there and practice on the road and, and feel what that feels like in order to, to help develop that in yourself. 
Yeah. yeah, I can't even tell you how many riders, because I, I, I sit on a lot of wheels and I've sat on a lot of wheels for <laughs> freaking like over 20 years now. And how many riders, I always find it interesting, the ones that know you can watch them sitting behind them and how many I, I've sat behind and going like shift, come on, shift, <laughs> you know, like, and they don't know when to shift up a gear or to shift down a gear. And, and we laugh, but that's not even just beginners. I mean, I see it right through some pretty elite riders who are strong and they're fast. And I'm like, wow, they have no idea when, when to shift gears based on, you know, the terrain or the speed or the most efficiency. And that, and that I, it's almost like I can feel their bikes slow down on the road and I'm like, come on shift, you know, or, or, you know, lift a little here, or tuck under here. And they, and they just, they haven't developed that feel of what that, you know, to when to do that, when to click up, when to click down and people I think it's a skill that is going to become harder to come by the more people are on these smart trainers that that choose the gearing for them or just choose the resistance based on the watts that they put in to execute a workout. And I think it's an important thing as coaches to continue to address that. Say, yes, if we're working on fitness and we I want to execute certain an, a, a certain targeted zone today and we're producing watts and you're getting something out of that workout. However, that is different than being able to to feel the road and know, yeah, your Watts are going to be five less here, but you're still getting a lot of speed out of the bike, that kind of thing. Um, so two different things, you know, and, and knowing what that feels like. Can I, I know Elliot wants to talk. Can I jump in quick? Yeah. <laughs> and it, one of the, I think one of the hardest things about that is most triathletes like the sensation of working hard. Right. And I feel like you let that cadence drop a little bit and you're like, yeah, I feel like I'm really working hard. Like your force per pedal stroke is up a little bit. So you're like, yeah, this is good. I'm working hard, but really you're just slowing down, right? You start that climb and your cadence drops a little bit and it might feel like you're working harder and you are, there's, you know, more torque on, on your muscles, but in the end, your bike might be moving slower and, and the efficiency has gone down. So like separating that, like working hard to going fast because they're not the same. Right. And, and, and parsing out that difference. Yeah. Get out of arrow when your bike slows down, if you need to uphill or, you know, if you need to stand, it's like move around on your bike. You know, if you need to scoot forward on the saddle and stomp back and down, or do you need to get back behind your pedal stroke and push, or do you need to click up a gear and stand up? Like the whole point is we keep the bike moving fast. And, and some people, like I say, have a real natural feel for that. They know you can ride behind them. They know. And other people, you have to sit behind them, you know, for many, many rides and say to them, like, click up one, click down one, stand, sit back in your arrow bars. And really until they're like, oh, I get it now. I, I know what that feels like now. My bikes feel smoother and faster in a straight line and, and carries that momentum. So yeah, that's all part of this athletic intelligence. Elliot is dying to say something. <laughs> he is dying. He's like, hand up, hand up, hand up. Okay, go Elliot. I think go, I forgot. Go. I forgot half of what I was going to say. Okay, 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 okay. Settle down. <laughs> um okay so the one thing i want to say is everything you're talking about is we're solving for speed right we do not care about power at the end of the day we care about how fast you ride it only like how fast you do your bike split how fast you do your swim your transitions your run we're always solving for speed and then we're saying all these things oh you know you can shift earlier you can get out of arrow etc this is also a triathlon and we're in the middle of a pandemic so how do you learn these things the easiest way is to go ride with really good riders. And like, why would you ride with, you know, there's a lot of triathletes. Why would you ride with bike racers? Oh, they're not time trialing, et cetera. The reason you ride with bike racers is everything we're talking about is it, the best bike racers have to have 
these, this sort of intelligence. If you watch Peter Sagan race, or if you just watched uh, cross world champs this last weekend, those guys and girls know how to ride their bikes and they know when to attack and where their position should be, et cetera. So if you can't, if you don't have anyone like that around you, it's really going to be hard. It's going to be difficult to learn those things because you don't have somebody to teach you, but you can still learn it. And I think that's the most important thing is if you're out there and you're like, what the heck, I don't have somebody who's going to teach me on a group ride. How do I do that? Here's how you do it. You take all your gadgets and you put a black piece of tape over it. You let them run and you just regularly try different things. You try riding up a climb, you know, going in between standing and sitting. You try going up into a climb with way too big of a gear. You try going into a climb with way too little of a gear. And you just have to be open to the fact that the more different ways you try to ride or run, it's going to backfire a ton. But if you keep going out there, just, you know, little experiments here and there and do them more than once, that's where you really start to learn like, oh, that was a terrible idea. I really shouldn't have went into that super steep hill in my big ring because I thought I was going to just be king of the hill. Like it turned out that I had to unclip. And then conversely, sometimes you go into a hill and your gear's way too little and you don't have a moment, enough momentum to carry it over the top. And that's all situational. And we're talking about these things where we're solving for speed. So you'd say, oh, well, I'll go look at my speedometer. How fast am I going? Well, wind is constantly changing. So you're kind of screwed there too. So like there is no gadget that can help you. But what can help you is going out and just doing like different activities in a different way and just paying attention. And I would say that's the best way to just make some change in a positive direction. Um, and, the, and on top of that is you go out and you find people who've done these sports and you spend time around them and you watch them as close as you can. And when they're doing something different, you say, hey, why the heck are you doing something different? I read so-and-so. And maybe they give you some bad advice. Maybe they give you some good advice, but I guarantee you they'll, they'll tell you something that, sorry, I'm on, a, I'm on one. <laughs> maybe they'll tell you something that's worded differently than you've heard before. And that will make you think about the sport in a different way. And that is what you're ultimately after is like changing your perception of how you do swim, bike, run. And it might be garbage information, but then at least when you know, then you're like, oh, well, Bobby on the group ride does this. Turns out it's dumb. Now I now I've tried it a few times. I figured out it's dumb. Now I'm gonna go make fun of them, and it's gonna be funny. Um, but you also know not to do it. So, anyways, that's that's my spiel. I think in the beginning of that, you made a really good point talking about like if you don't have those people and you can session something, you can ride the same, whatever two mile, five mile stretch a bunch of different times, and you can compare watts to speed and you can compare effort to watts to speed. You compare heart rate, watts, speed, and effort. And you can look at all these different metrics on the, on the same stretch of road, various different ways. And you can say, oh yeah, when I kept my cadence around 90, that felt the easiest. My heart rate stayed the most steady and I went the fastest or whatever it is. So I think sessioning something multiple times can really help develop that and then you can extrapolate from that one situation to a lot of different situations. But I think keeping one of those pieces the same, like the same chunk of road can be really helpful. Yeah. And if we translate into things like um, the, the water where it's more technical, you know, if, if someone's really struggling to, to get cues and sensations to get strokes right and stuff, you know, video is really helpful, you know, so you can use video, you can, as a coach, you can video the athlete and say, um, you know, this is what I'm 
this is what I need to do with you. This is what I'm asking you to do with your hand. You know, and they're like, I just can't get it. I just can't get it. I just can't feel it. Then you can, you know, you can take a video and say, okay, well, this is what you look like. And this is what, what we need you, you know, what we need you to see what you're doing. And then you can show them a video of exactly what it's supposed to look like or a photo. And I would say, okay, watch what you're doing and watch this video. And I want you to watch that over and over again. And more importantly, I want you to watch over and over again, the one that we want you to do it. And I want you to start to visualize and feel yourself doing that. And that can help for an athlete that's struggling to get these um, on their own watching people who are doing it correctly. Like you said, Elliot, out on a, you know, if you, if you don't have the luxury of being around people who are doing it right to get that visual cue, you can, you know, seek out, uh, you know, the internet's really available now and, and really great things. It's like, seek out someone who's doing it right and get that visual in your head. And then get an idea of what you look like, you know, get someone to video and take a look and say, oh, wow, I really am like my hands way out there or my, you know, the timing's way off in terms of my catch and my kick and, you know, those kinds of things. And if you get a chance to see it, you see it and then see what it's supposed to look like done right, that can help develop this as well. So I think, you know, the two main things with athletic intelligence are, are dialing into body's cues for pacing and gauging effort. And then the second one is learning the technical sides and, and knowing where your body is in space to make the most efficient corrections to be the fastest and the most, you know, the most fast and efficient speed wise in your sport. And then I think the third element of athletic intelligence really is about you know, being able to make, especially in our sport, this is where it becomes really important in a sport like endurance sport because you know, we're out there alone a long time and we've got to make decisions on the fly of when should I continue to push and go hard and push through these barriers and get what it is that I'm, I'm out here to do because most of us are pretty determined people. I mean, we wouldn't be endurance sports if we weren't super determined. And when is it time to say, Hey, I need to pull the pin, right? We talked about this earlier. So before we got on, we got on a call together, we were talking as coaches is like, nobody wants to quit. We're not designed that way. As far as endurance athletes, we're taught at all costs, keep going. So if you don't have, if you're out there on your own, it's a self-driven sport. Where are those points where we teach our athletes or we just intuitively know as an athlete, like, Hey, it's okay. I, I, number one, do I need to push through this? And is this the time to push? Because yeah, I'm fine. I'll get through this. Or is this the time that it's okay for me to say, no, I shouldn't keep going here. And I think that's a really the third piece of the athletic intelligence that some athletes have a better good feel for that. They know, they know, and they have confidence in that. And some athletes, they don't. And, and they, you see them either get, you know, push over the line a little too often, or they never push through the line and they're always held back a little bit. So let's talk about that a bit. Yeah. I think the interesting there thing there is it's not just like, do I finish this workout or do I not finish this workout? Do I just go home? There are like moments like in the race where you're like, Oh, should I keep pushing really hard? Should I back off the pace a little bit? How do I feel where you need to adjust a little bit? Or is it like a workout you need to adjust? So there's, there's like multiple layers to when you should quit. Cause, cause quit could mean like just backing off a little bit. Right. And, and so it's always, it's always hard. And, and again, it's not just like not hitting the workout. There's layers of stress there too. Like, is there life stress that's bothering you? That's all consuming. And, and did you not sleep well? Like what's, what's really going on here? So yeah, there's, there's a lot of different nuances to when you should back off or when you should go. 
and and yeah that makes it makes it tough that that's that's where the athletic intelligence comes in right is is weighing all those factors and then deciding the best course of action for you in that moment yeah and so so that can mean let's say you're you're doing a workout where let's keep it simple let's say you're doing five by a mile on the track right you can go and decide to increase the your target pace right so that's on the, the far end the fast end of things but generally speaking you could say oh well maybe i should only do four of these today or maybe i should do five of these today at a little bit slower than my target pace maybe i should do three of these today maybe i should do 800s maybe i should just do an easy run and ultimately maybe i shouldn't be running at all and those are all kind of options that you might be going through and it's kind of wild to think that like literally every single workout those are options and most of the time the correct option is do the do the workout get the work in and so you have to get into this habit the best people are the people who get the work in and then there's this little sliver of time where it's like no 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 this is one of those times where you don't need to get all of the work in or maybe the the appropriate amount of work you need to get in is a little bit less i think that's where a coach comes in that's where experience comes in and that's where uh, some big blowups have come in. And, and I'm assuming all three of us have learned this the hard way, which is going too hard and having some serious repercussions as a result. And it's nice to get a little bit of information from, from hearing stories like this, but I, th I really think people should be aware that quitting is an, is an essential tool for a high level athlete. Um, but keep in mind that you have to use it sparingly. Yeah. And I think one of the, maybe the first options that you alluded to there is like saying, okay, this pace isn't coming the way it should be, but I'm going to do this on, on effort. And maybe it ends up being 10, 15 seconds slower a mile, like you were talking about, mm -hmm. but you, it feels the same. And that's maybe that's eliciting the same response because you rode hard the day before or something. So you're, you're still in that correct zone you're still doing the right thing it just doesn't look as pretty on paper and that's fine right that you're still hitting the essence of the workout and and but but like you said sometimes you need to say okay i need to go home and and that can be okay too i guess yeah. oh, i was gonna just real quick um excessive wind really hot temperatures uh bad footing and lack of nutrition hydration and sleep are the main culprits that would cause you to to lower the pace and carry on with the workout as is. No? Yeah, I was going to say, I think where this skill is harder for people to learn. And I think if, if someone's like, well, how do I, how do I start to differentiate between and, and, you know, get better at this piece of this, of this, you know, we talk about the three pieces of this is first of all, understanding in each scenario, separating decision-making and emotion. Right. And we had a little bit of a talk about like some of the sports psychology stuff. And so this, this piece of athletic intelligence is, is probably the hardest to develop for athletes because the second we start making decisions, like, should I stop or should I keep going? Or should I dial back? Should I change the workout today? Oftentimes immediately, or even in the same breath, that decision process is followed really closely by foggy emotion. And so becoming really skilled at this level of athletic intelligence is, is having the ability to separate the decision-making and the emotion attached to the decision that you're making. 
And so I think the better you get at this and the more experience you get at this and the more times you're successful at making the right decision for yourself to continue to be better and better as an athlete and that then that that piece of this grows, right? It, it grows a little bit every single time. So I think for newer athletes, you know, this piece of your development is going to just take longer. It's going to take, it's going to take times where, you know, you're going to, maybe you hear it. I broke down in tears or I was so mad. I threw my bike across the road or I threw my paddles out of the pool, or I just sat down on the grass and didn't finish my run. Cause I was in tears, you know, but I think as a person gets more confidence and gets, better at this piece of development, then they're able to separate. They say, they stop for a second and say, what do I actually need to decide in this moment? That's the best thing for me and my training and my overall development versus how do I feel right now? Just because I'm reacting and being emotional. And just like kids, you know, you watch a two-year-old, they don't get what they want. They throw themselves on the ground. They start screaming and kicking and crying because they don't understand their emotion at the moment. They just know they're not getting that like piece of candy they wanted. Right. And so we're a little like that when we start out with this piece of the development as an athlete. I'm not getting my workout. I'm not, it's not going the way I wanted. And so therefore I'm going to throw a temper tantrum and I'm going to just like make all these decisions based on emotion. And as you get older, we understand that someone's going to say, no, you can't have that cookie today. And you're like, okay, that's fair. And you learn to handle it and you move on because you know, big picture, you don't want to be 25 pounds heavier, whatever. Right. You just, as you get, my point of that is you're getting older, you're getting more mature. You understand the emotional development with those choices. And I think it's the same with athletics, right? We're able to separate decision-making and emotion. And that's why that I say this sort of as the last, the third piece of development with athletic intelligence, because it's the hardest one. It's the one that takes, you see the experience, you watch the Roger Federer's, you watch the Tiger Woods, you watch these athletes, they look so composed, you know, Tom Brady's, they know exactly what to do. They know they're, they're so put together because they've been in every scenario so many times and they have a, what looks like a very elite level of athletic intelligence, but it's just developed through, through years and years of that. And maybe they were a bit more gifted at that to begin with. They could separate the two even at the beginning. So I don't know if you guys have add, add-ons to that. Yeah. I think, I think that especially when you're learning that skill, taking a step back and saying, okay, I'm going to take whatever it is, two minutes, five minutes, and I'm going to run through the facts. I'm going to not, not how I'm feeling and not like that. I'm really sad. This isn't going well. Cause it's probably why it's probably not going well, but what are the, what are the facts right now that are affecting my life? Like, you know, am I tired? Am I hungry? Are my legs really sore? What time of day is it? Well, you know, whatever it is, outline all the facts that are going on and then make a decision based on fact, as opposed to a decision based on like, I'm really, I'm really sad right now, or my, my emotions or my feelings are this say, what's, what are the facts? And then how do I feel? And then you can kind of come to bring those together to come to a conclusion. The one other thing I wanted to chat about is when this changes slightly. And for me, I had some trouble developing this as an athlete. So it's something I focus on a little bit more with, with my athletes. So they don't make the same mistake I made 20 times in a row. And, and that is what happens when you taper and you show up at a race and things feel a little bit different. And so you might have a really high athletic intelligence when you're a little bit tired in training, and then you show up to the race and you're like, well, this doesn't feel hard. And so it kind of changes that in- interpretation. And so you need to have, you need to, I think you need to have an even higher athletic intelligence and say, okay, I've been here before. I know I'm rested. I know this feels easy. And 
And you need to execute based on that new set of feelings, not that old set of feelings you had two weeks before when you were in the middle of a big, big building block. Do you guys have any experience with that? Yeah, I think the number one thing uh, to that point is that you can't expect to have this kind of intelligence we're talking about on the race day if you don't try to develop it in your training every day. Right. So the, the more developed it is in training and the more you think about making proper decisions or choosing, you know, choosing when to, to quit, whether it's a full quit or a partial quit um, and, and choosing your various paces, et cetera, you have to practice it in your training. And if, if you do that, then it's going to put you in a better position to then be super excited on race day and possibly really fresh. And then to take all of your knowledge and all of your failures and experiences and say, okay, what's the best possible, what's the way to make this the best possible outcome um, in the race? And, and a lot of times, like in your case, that's probably taking a half or a quarter step back and being a little less aggressive and recognizing that. And then the other way is, of course, you have to race more. The more you race, the more you'll actually have in-game experience or in-race experience. And I guess that's probably to your point. Yeah, I think the overwhelming theme that we're saying about all of this is that it takes time to develop, just like our engine takes time to develop, our, you know, our skill, our technique, our fitness, everything. So when it comes to this stuff, like we started the podcast with, it's, it's not what you're necessarily born with. Um, it's something that can be learned. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of different scenarios to learn it. And so in every opportunity when we have these, you know, successes or failures or new sensations or like you said, Jesse, it's pretty common. People first few Ironmans they do, they're like, man, I feel, you know, they go through all kinds of thoughts in their heads, even, even really experienced athletes through their taper because everything feels different. Oh, I feel sluggish. I feel, I feel like I'm getting, you know, out of shape. And then they feel overly, you know, overly excited. And then, you know, heart rate's different and, you know, watts are a little bit different and everything looks different. And, and I think the overriding theme is that the more we're exposed to this stuff, the more experience we get, the more confidence we get in it. And we know what that means. And again, you know, that's where data is helpful. It's cross-referencing it. You become familiar with it. Um, you, you gain confidence from it. And um, yeah, I think it's just, it's some, it's a skill that has to be, like you say, Elliot, practiced and learned and, and through all the different scenarios and, and you'll get better at it. The older you get, the better you'll get at it, the more you do it, that kind of thing. And yeah, one thing I will add to that is that it, it it will come, but not just over time, right? You actually need to work at it, just like these other skills. Like you can't just get in the pool and swim laps and expect to gain feel for the water, right? You have to be like mentally present. And I think one thing we talked about in a previous podcast is like journaling and writing down how you felt. I think you need to be in touch with how you feel and you need to like think about after the workout what happened. And so it's it's that time plus energy into this that really helped develop develop you not just going through the motions sweet awesome. i got a thumbs up yeah. yeah i mean i think it's it's a great conversation guys i really enjoy this topic with you i think you know it's something that isn't really talked about that often in our sport because we're such a get after and go hard kind of sport and so you know, I think it's, it's really fun to sort of bring this to the front of people's minds and give them something new to think about and sort of check in with where they're at on this, on this end of developing things. Use the force. Use the <laughs> force. That's a, that was actually a really good analogy. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs>
Awesome guys. Well, thank you very much. And, you know, if anyone has any, any questions, any topics they want us to talk about or any questions on athletic intelligence and how to develop it, uh, feel free to reach out to any of us and we'd love to, to help guide you in the right direction. Indeed. Thanks guys. Cheers. Thanks guys. Have a good day.